Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by Navman. Now, you may be listening to this Christmas Eve, or you're listening to this after Christmas, and there may be a couple of disappointments under the tree. I'm sorry to hear that if Santa was not nice to you, but I will tell you this. If you do have a current Navman device, and maybe it's a few years old, and you've had your eye on a later product, and maybe you dropped all the hints that you possibly could. You tried to tell people that you need to get from A to B, you need some help with your navigation. Maybe you've been telling people, geez, I wish I recorded what I saw on the road the other day, but no one picked up the idea to buy you a dash cam. If you've got an existing Navman device, and it could be an older model, you can actually redeem it for up to 30% off your next purchase. And it's been interesting to look at the trade-in prices that you can get on Navman units. Say, for example, if you do have a MyCam GPS, maybe you've had it for a couple of years, you can actually trade it in for $209 and that can get removed straight off the new purchase price. So if you wanted to actually buy something new, you can get that discount immediately at checkout, which is extremely important. So head to the Navman website, go through, find the product that you want, then see what you can get for a trade-in on your existing Navman unit and upgrade because there's nothing better than trying the latest tech. You can start to feel like I do when I get the latest Navman devices. I get to put them in my car. Those older units, wish I could trade them in. That would be handy. So go ahead, head to navman.com.au, look at the entire range. This applies to dash cams and GPS units. So if you need navigation or you need a new dash cam, spoil yourself if no one else did this Christmas and get yourself something. Because honestly, those kinds of devices, one will make sure that you turn up to a place on time. The other will pay attention to everything that's happening on the road while you're on your way there. So do check out the entire range and let's get on with the rest of the show. Rasembrasma Jeff Quattromani, multi Australian in Sydney. Tech expert Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani, thank you very much from Sydney. Jeff Quattromani is here. And now it's time to talk technology with Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. What the heck? Let's talk tech. I cannot believe it is almost the end of the year. And in saying that, the tech news has not slowed down in one way or another at all. And it's funny that, you know, leading up to the Consumer Electronics Show or CES, as we now mostly call it, uh, things used to quieten down. And then CES would be the one thing that you have to talk about at the beginning of the year. However, most of the news that I'm going to talk about today is actually related to CES and the amount of announcements that are coming out ahead of the actual event. And I have a feeling this is actually due to the COVID outbreak or the new COVID outbreak that's going on at the moment, and some companies fearing that the event itself may not have the punch that it used to pack. And as a result, they're going early. So we're going to go through all of the tech news from CES. I'm talking about Hyundai, Huawei, LG. LG again. I know we spoke about LG last week. They continue to make more announcements. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about TikTok. And I don't like talking about TikTok because I'm not a huge fan of the platform, but they've hit a pretty huge milestone this year. And we're going to talk about another thing about a tea brewing machine, a smart tea brewing machine coming out of CES as well. Again, pre-CES announcements. And then, as you may have heard, I have moved homes. And as a result, I've got a little bit of grass. And I've been testing a robot mower from Husqvarna. And I'm going to tell you all about robotic mowers, as in from installation to how they actually perform. We'll go through all of those details at the second half of the show. Plenty of tech news to get through. And as usual, I've cracked open a little something. And it's not wine today. In fact, I'm having a beer. Now, here's an interesting thing. I'm having a lager, and it's called Amalfi. 
Amalfi is a place in Italy. I've been there. It's one of the most beautiful places. Actually, probably the reason I bought the beer because I saw the name on the bottle. And to be honest, it actually tastes a lot like a Peroni. If you've ever had a Peroni, Nastro Azzurro, it tastes almost identical to that, which for me in the summertime is perfect. It's not a heavy beer. You can have it while you're barbecuing, by the pool, whatever the case is. It's perfect. It's not incredibly expensive either. A case of 24 is 43 bucks. You know, that works out to be what, two bucks something a pop. That's pretty good. What's interesting though, is based on everything I've just told you, the location, the name, it, the origin of the Amalfi Lager is Portugal. I don't know why. I don't understand why. I don't think there is a place called Amalfi in Portugal, but here we are uh, sipping on something that I thought was Italian, and it's Portuguese. Uh, that could tell you a lot about a lot of things, but here we go. Now, let's get straight into some tech news. I'm not even going to take another sip before we start talking about this. Hyundai, let's kick out with them straight away. Hyundai always goes to CES, and lately, they don't go. They go to CES not really to announce cars. And you know, a couple of years ago, I remember going to CES, and there was a partnership announced between Hyundai and Uber, where they announced effectively a drone that would carry people. They even said Melbourne would be one of the first places that does it, where you would fly from the airport to the city uh, via a Hyundai-powered Uber drone. And that was something that they announced a couple of years ago. This year, they're coming out with a mobility platform called Mobed, M-O-B-E-D. Now, this is interesting. It looks just like a a flat platform. Wheels on the front, wheels on the back. Um, You would basically say it's pretty simple until it starts to move. What this can actually do is, regardless of the terrain that it's on, regardless of the incline or anything like that, it can make sure that its platform remains completely flat. So one of the examples that they show in their video is a bunch of champagne glasses stacked in a tower, but the Mobed is driving up ramps, down ramps, and things like that while maintaining a completely flat surface and the wheels are actually moving and adjusting to suit the platform. So yes, I'm not necessarily going to tell you to go buy one of these so you can transport champagne glasses, although, hey, if you were maybe at the fridge and you just so happen to pour me a glass, then you could get the Mobed to drive to the lounge room and drop it off for me. Think about what this can actually do for delivery services. You know, we've seen Domino's in the past want to do um, drones and robot delivery. What if something like this could mean that any bump, any hill would make sure that the pizzas aren't sliding around, that they're not being pushed up to one side because they're going downhill? it would remain completely flat. So I think it's an amazing use of technology. What Hyundai is demonstrating here, we have to remember, Hyundai bought Boston Dynamics. Boston Dynamics are the guys who make all those incredible robots, the ones that look like dogs, the one that looks like a human and can stack shelves and do backflips and stuff like that. But this is the potential for real use where you're taking a very simple mechanism from Boston Dynamics and you're turning it into something that could potentially be coming to market and with a real use case because a flat platform, as simple as that sounds, could actually lead to huge other ideas of how couriers might start to use it. They even demonstrate putting a baby's pram type capsule on top of it, or even just imagine having something like this around the home that could follow you around and carry your things for you. So an amazing idea from Hyundai as well. And then interestingly, another slash car company has been invented, Huawei. Huawei we've spoken about many times before. I'm not a huge fan of Huawei, given that I think there's a bit of shiftiness going on into what they're actually doing behind their products. But let's put that aside for a second. Huawei has revealed their first electric vehicle. 
Yes, this is the company that makes smartphones. Um, that they, they wish were making NBN infrastructure, um, tablets, laptops, headphones. Now doing a vehicle. It's called the Aito, A-I-T-O M5. Now M5 is an amazing BMW, but I guess Huawei is good at copying things. The Huawei Aito M5, this is a SUV. It's an electric SUV. It's going to come in a two-wheel drive and a four-wheel drive variant. Uh, they're saying it's going to be available in about 50 different cities. Now, I'm going to guess that all those cities are actually in China. I don't think this Huawei vehicle will ever make it off the China um, runway or whatever you want to call it. I don't think it's leaving China. I don't see this coming into Australian um, dealerships anytime soon. I definitely don't see it getting into America anytime soon. But what's interesting here is that Huawei is really pulling in all of the technology that they do have. If you think about some of the products that I mentioned before, tablets, audio products, they start to really give you an idea of what a car interior could be capable of. I mean, it was a couple of years ago, again, at CES, where Sony revealed a car. And again, Sony having so much power and might in tech, the entire infotainment system, the speakers that they use, all of the all of the technology inside the car being Sony powered kind of made a lot of sense. And I guess in this instance, it also makes sense for Huawei. Now, it's got a glass roof. It's got a big tablet looking um, just like a Tesla in the middle of the car. It's got flush door handles just like a Tesla as well. Pretty similar style interior overall to a Tesla. Again, no surprise. But for me, this is fascinating. It could potentially be what China is looking for in their electric vehicle market. You know, they love to buy their own. It's the reality that in China, Chinese businesses do better than other other companies that come from overseas. So with Tesla trying to make quite a large foothold in China, and they have been, I think that if Huawei can get this off the ground, it could almost push Tesla out. And that's a big statement to make, but I really think that that could be possible. And if the world starts to trust the brand again, Huawei could potentially enter other markets like Australia with a really good price point that, again, could undercut what Tesla does. And if the cars are reliable, if the product is actually good, then it could be a big step forward. Now, the operating system of the vehicle, this is an interesting one we have to highlight. Knowing that Huawei cannot have Android automotive in their car, like you see in the Polestar, knowing that they couldn't really have CarPlay capabilities because of this issue with the United States. They're using Harmony OS, which is the operating system that they built for their existing smartphones. It's Harmony OS is what was meant to be going into their smartwatches and things like that. Again, most of these products aren't coming to Australia because we don't want them. But to, to be honest, that's what's going to be the operating system across their entire board. So now we know that their operating system will stretch from vehicles, smartphones, tablets, watches, the whole lot. There's something in that. And if we've always been talking about when Apple will eventually make an electronic vehicle or a, or a car at all, I think Huawei is really giving us a nod into what's possible. And if you start to think about what an Apple car could look like, now that we can see Huawei has done it, Apple could be next. And we've been rumoring about that for a very, very long time. And that wouldn't be huge. An Apple car, now that we're seeing this reality of a Huawei vehicle, we've seen a Sony vehicle, maybe we actually will see an Apple car. And maybe next year in 2022, we'll actually be talking about the, the iCar or whatever you want to call it. Um, it could happen. Now, after this, we're going to talk about some big news from TikTok. We're going to talk about a tea machine. If you, ever, if you love your tea, maybe this is going to really win you over. Some news from LG, and then we're going to really unpack robot mowers. 
Now, the website or app or service, we're going to call it TikTok. It's been around for a couple of years now, maybe even three or four. But it really, in the pandemic, accelerated out the wazoo. It was absolutely something that was became, the, I guess, the ultimate pastime that if you were in lockdown, if you were bored, you could be sitting on your phone, literally flicking through short form video on TikTok, learning something, having a laugh, whatever it was. And it can be incredibly addictive. I tried it a couple of years ago. I looked at it and I realized that very quickly, half an hour, an hour could disappear um, just from a random flick around on TikTok. And I got off it just to get some time back in my life. Now, in 2020, Google was the most popular domain of the year, which would make sense. Google.com, you think about Google Photos, Google Maps, the whole lot. There's a lot of reasons for people to be hitting the Google.com platform or domain. In 2020, TikTok was number seven. In 2021, things have changed dramatically. Let's go, let's go through the top 10 domains of 2021. At number 10, WhatsApp. Makes sense. I use WhatsApp a lot. Not surprised. Number nine is Twitter.com. Okay, I'm actually surprised. I thought Twitter was a bit smaller than this. I thought maybe they'd be behind WhatsApp. Number eight was YouTube.com. Massive surprise from there from me because I would have thought in 2021 more and more people watching YouTube content than ever before. Maybe they were. Maybe it has grown. Maybe they weren't in the top 10 last year. Uh, certainly this year at number eight. Number seven is Netflix.com. So Netflix is now outranking YouTube. That's a big call out in itself. Amazon.com at number six, no surprises in terms of the amount of online shopping that people would have been doing on Amazon.com. And also given that Amazon.com is not necessarily a global brand, it's not in every single country yet, that kind of number six kind of is a good fit. Number five, Apple.com. Again, more people buying tech than ever before, especially in 2021. Um, Apple actually brought out a reasonable iPhone upgrade compared to a couple of years prior. Maybe this was a good reason for Apple to start to shoot to number five. Microsoft.com at number four. I think that's interesting. And I think there actually is some misleading numbers in that. I don't think a lot of people are actually personally browsing to Microsoft.com. I think their computers are constantly polling Microsoft.com for Windows updates, for patches. And as a result, every PC around is actually contributing to those hits, to those domains, I'm guessing. Facebook.com at number three. Okay, who would have thought that social media would be popular? Of course it is, especially during a pandemic. Number two is Google. Google.com is number two. And that's because number one is now TikTok.com. TikTok is number one. Of every other website I just mentioned, TikTok. Now, how on earth is that happening? Given that if you did a walk around the street and you spoke to 100 people, I think 10% of them would actually say they use TikTok, um, especially if you consider Google, especially if you consider Microsoft. Now, the reason that is, is because every time it's hit, I believe it's a count. Whereas how many times do you need to Google search something every day compared to how many videos do you watch on TikTok.com? I would love to understand how this is calculated. Because if I open the TikTok app and every time I start playing a new video, is that counted as a hit to the TikTok.com domain? I think it might be. So every time I'm scrolling through a five second, one second video, or I literally don't even start watching it, it I feel like that is a, is a trigger. That is a click. That's a click. That's a click. And if so, no wonder TikTok.com can get to number one because no one's Google searching like that. No one's searching, 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 searching. They're searching, scrolling, clicking. 
TikTok, swipe, 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 swipe. Something in that, I wonder how this is really assessed if you think about just domain. Domain clicks, I think that's where the numbers are coming from. However, either way, it's still incredible to see. Again, if I use that same analogy around the clicking, of course Netflix would drop down because people spend more time watching than scrolling. People spend more time watching on YouTube than searching. So for me, I'm fascinated. Although, if we use the same click analogy and I go back to WhatsApp, is every message sent a click on WhatsApp? And if so, how the heck is that not number one? So sometimes you take these things with a grain of salt, but either way, for TikTok to be showing in a top 10 like this is a big deal. And for Google to drop to number two in any conversation is a big deal. And I cannot wait to hear more about this. Now, for those tea drinkers out there, you like a sip, you like a sip of cold, cold brew, warm brew, you like your loose leaf, you like your bags, your tea bags. Well, there's a smart tea machine coming to market and um, they're going to have it at CES. However, I'm looking at pictures of it now because CES is virtually online at the moment and has started way early. I hope you didn't buy a ticket to go to Las Vegas. The Ultimate Brew Maker by a company called Brew, B-R-U. The U has two dots on top of it, which means they're Switzerland or Swiss uh, because that would be pronounced Brew. And Brew is a machine that looks a lot like an espresso machine. Um, It looks like it takes capsule, but it doesn't. It actually has a strainer for loose leaf tea. You could also put a tea bag in it. Um, So here is your BYO tea bag or BYO loose leaf. It's not capsule based. And it will brew your hot water into your cup and obviously run it through the strainer to give you tea. Um, Black tea, iced tea, green tea, whatever it is that you like. It's also a smart machine, meaning you could control it with your smartphone. Again, you would need to make sure you put the tea or tea bag in yourself. You need to make sure the water is in the machine, and you need to make sure the cup is underneath it before you start being all smart about it. But effectively, you don't have to push the button while you're standing in front of it. You could take two steps back, pull your smartphone out, and use it. If it sounds like I'm a little bit skeptical about a machine like this, it's because I am. I have tested machines like this before. In fact, Nespresso machines, you can already buy from Twinings and other brands pods for tea. You can buy tea pods now that go into capsule machines and you can brew tea through your existing Nespresso machine. So if you like tea, if you like what I've been talking about, go to Woolies, look down the tea aisle and you'll find the pods. You can get pods. I'm pretty sure Twinings, they had like English breakfast and all the others in a pod or capsule, you stick it in the machine, you press go like you do for a coffee, but instead you get tea instead of coffee. That's a real thing. So why would I want a machine that can do it? It's another appliance. We just normally get a kettle. um, And even with a coffee machine, you can run just straight hot water without a capsule in there. And you get hot water with the existing tea bag that you're going to put inside the brew. And instead, you're just going to have the hot water coming out with the tea bag, which you can easily dispense, which you'd have to do anyway, even in this world's first smart automated tea machine. And you would get the same result. So I don't think that tea needs to be smartened up. I think there's a reason why tea has been around for centuries and has not really evolved that much. Because to be honest, it doesn't need to. It's like a glass of water from the tap. You can pretty it up. You can change the tap. You can put a filter on it. At the end of the day, it's just a cup of water. Just give me my cup of water. Now, moving forward, LG. We spoke about them last week in terms of CES announcements, and here we are again with more announcements from them. LG won't have much to say on the actual CES week from the sounds of things. They'll just probably be showing them and showing more videos and photos of them instead. Monitors. Monitors for working from home or for the home office. 
Now I have a single monitor on my desk. So it's a very widescreen uh, monitor from Samsung. It's very wide and I like it. I like to split my windows. I don't like to have two monitors and I generally don't like to multitask. Um, for example, right now I'm talking to you. I can see my podcast audio being recorded and I can see my notes. I don't have my email open in another window. I don't have Twitter on another screen. I don't have anything else because that's a distraction. I'm talking to you and I want to make sure my attention is 100% committed to you. That's why I single screen. However, LG has made an announcement for a monitor that actually could intrigue me a little bit. As I said, mine is very wide. What LG is, has announced is what's called a dual up monitor. Now it almost looks square. It actually looks like two widescreen monitors stacked on top of each other. What LG is trying to do here is avoid us turning our heads left to right all day as we look from each side of the screen or across two monitors and building a single screen that effectively is two monitors stacked on top of each other. And I've seen industries where that is a normal thing. In fact, when I once upon a time used to run a second screen, I had it in portrait mode. I used to turn it so it was vertical. And that was my way of actually looking at my second screen because if I was working on a document, a document is portrait. So why shouldn't my screen be portrait? It made more sense that way. But this one from LG effectively means that you would have a single screen that's very tall where you could have two halves, but instead of it being split down the middle, it would be split across the top or halfway. I like this idea. I would try this uh, because I do split screen sometimes. Sometimes if I'm working on two on a document where I'm copying and pasting from, maybe I've got a presentation on one side and I've got Excel on another where I'm starting to produce graphs and then I'm moving them across, whatever the case is, or Tableau, whatever it is. I can understand the reason to multi-screen, but I don't want to run two separate screens. Having one screen that I can split and shuffle around makes a lot of sense. So the Jewel Up is going to be announced at CES and it's very likely that this one will actually come to market. And I, as a result, will be asking LG to try one of these. I think it's fascinating to me. They also announced another monitor. What's it called again? Ultrafine. It's really for photo and video editors, really trying to make sure that it nails color, the whole color gamut thing. 98% of DCI slash P3, if that means something to you, um, it's going to have crazy response times and really have perfect color representation. 31 inches looks gorgeous. I'm pretty sure it's OLED as well, which means it would look fantastic. It is an OLED Pro monitor. Um, that's going to be for those who are doing real photo enhancements and things like that. Not for me to really talk about here, but the Jewel Up monitor, I think, certainly is. Now, after this, folks, let's talk about robot mowers. We've been talking about robot vacuums for a long time. Robot vacuums, I've seen robots that can clean your windows. I've tested them. But what about a robot that can mow your grass? Yeah, let's talk about that. Now, a little while back, I reached out to Husqvarna and we had them on the show. You would, you, if you've been a long-time listener of this, you would know we had Husqvarna on the show to talk about robot mowers. And it was an amazing interview to hear everything and everything everything and anything, I guess, about robot mowers. However, it's not really until you try one that you really get to understand and experience how they work. Now, most people, if they want to try one, need to spend some pretty big dollars to go and do so. Uh, fortunately, I get the privilege of testing these types of products without paying for them. And we were doing a segment for Studio 10 around Tech Trends for 2022, and I believe it will air during their summer break, which is starting now. So you, if you're a Studio 10 watcher during the Christmas period, you probably will see this segment actually go to air. And I asked Husqvarna for a robot mower because 
having spoken to them before, it made sense to bring them in. Uh, and we we're talking about robots. I really think that in 2022, robots will become much more of a thing. We're, we're kind of comfortable with robot vacuums. I think we're going to become comfortable with a whole lot of other robots. And you heard earlier in the show about the one from Hyundai. I think robots are starting to become more accepted. Now, when it comes to robot v- mowers, I keep almost, keep almost saying vacuums. Uh, when it comes to robot mowers, I have only tested one, and it's this one. So my experience is narrow in that sense. And since moving home, I am very open to trying every single brand that I can, because if I'm comfortable in doing that for robot vacuums, I should be comfortable to do that for mowers. The setup process is very different though. Now, if anyone who's used a robot vacuum would know this, that a robot vacuum has a base station, and generally you'll connect it to your Wi-Fi network, you'll install the app on your phone, and you'll have the robot vacuum go and explore the home. It usually can then create a floor plan of your home, which you can then define and say, well, that area there is actually my kitchen. That area there is the lounge room. You can create exclusion zones. You can create perimeters around maybe a a rug or a bunch of toys that are normally in a particular area. And the robot vacuum knows how to avoid and manage all those things. Um, Robot vacuums become very smart as a result. Robot vacuums can even detect floor type to increase suction. So when it drives on carpet, it'll adjust compared to when it drives on hard floors. But with all those things in mind, stepping into a robot mower actually felt like I was stepping back in time. So you unbox the robot mower and the robot mower actually isn't terribly big. It's about the size of a push mower without the handles. It's you know, four wheels and there's a, a deck underneath it. It's a very different deck to what you would see on a push mower in terms of where the blades are. This one seems to use what looks more like razor blades. I, look, I actually feel like I could shave with these blades rather than just put them on the mower to cut the grass. And you take this mower out and it has a base station just like a robot vacuum. You put the base station down. I call it a garage because it feels like I'm parking it in there. And the next step is actually to run a guide wire. And a guide wire helps the mower understand where to stop. And this was interesting for me because I was thinking, well, my robot vacuum doesn't need me to tell it with physical hardware on where to stop. I could probably get it to map the area and then tell it, well, don't go there. There's a flower bed or don't go further than that because it's no longer my property. The guide wire does that. The app does not. And that's interesting to me. So here I was, it was actually, I picked the worst day to do it, guys. I picked like a 40 degree day to go and install this robot mower in a portion of my backyard. And I had to install guide wire. It comes with a ruler and it tells you Um, a bit of a guidance as to, you know, if it's approaching a rockery or a rock wall, for example, it should be a bit further away because you don't want the mower to actually hit that wall because it would effectively start to damage it. You want it to make sure it stops just before it. Or, But if you've got, say, um, dirt or something flat that's beyond the mowing area, you might want it to go all the way to the edge because if it does encroach on that by a centimeter, not going to be a problem for the mower and not really going to be a problem for what's on the other side. So you start to analyze how far your guide wire should be from certain parts of your yard. And at every maybe 60, 70 centimeters, you're putting a peg in the ground. 
So a peg in the ground as you're laying the wire. And you don't want the wire to actually be sitting too high or too loose because your robot may actually cut the wire. You have got the choice of um, digging a little bit. If you've got a shovel, you could put a shovel in the ground and start to really bury the wire. But effectively, if you lay it on top of the grass within reason, um, the grass will eventually grow over over time anyway. So the mower is happy just to drive over the top of it if it does go that close. You run the guide wire around. If you've got something around, say, the middle of the yard that you don't want the mower to mow across, maybe you've got a small garden bed that it could potentially drive into, then what you need to do with the guide wire is you have it come to a point of the side of the yard and then you run it in a straight line from there to that garden bed or whatever it is. You then go a full loop around the garden bed and then almost side by side back to the side of the yard. So you almost create this lollipop design where from the fence, you draw a lollipop. So stick lollipop around the garden bed, lollipop stick back down, and then you continue going around the perimeter of the block. That helps the robot mower know that there is something in the middle, but because those lines leading to it are so close together, it's actually allowed to drive all the way over. So when it starts to sense a double line, it knows it can cross it. If it's a single line, it knows it cannot cross it. So that's the way it actually understands garden beds. So if you've got one and you've been worried about robot mowers coming in and you've got a little herb garden or whatever it is, uh, that's not going to happen. So you go ahead and you do it all. Uh, for me, it was probably around 900 square meters that I'm, that I'm trying to cover with the robot mower. It's a pretty, pretty sizable amount compared to um, what a number, probably a typical backyard would be for a robot mower, but they actually come in so many different sizes of robot mower that the one that I was actually testing is the Husqvarna 315X, which actually has a working area capacity of 1600 square meters. So for me to do it um, eight to 900 square meters is nothing for this one that I'm doing. And here we go. I've run the wire all the way around. I think by then I've literally developed skin burns on, on my neck because I was just nowhere prepared for the weather that I was having that day. Um, nailing in all the pegs, running it all across, and then you attach the guide wire to either side of the garage, and that's it. You install the app, and there is also a small screen and um, pad on the top of the mower that you can effectively do everything from. And you install the app, and you can actually start to set a schedule uh, on when you want to start, when you want to finish, and away you go. Now, it's fascinating because this isn't meant to cut your grass once a week. A robot mower is meant to maintain your lawn. And there's a very big difference between maintenance and, sorry, maintenance full-time or maintenance part-time. Because at the moment, most people who would, you know, use a push or a ride-on mower, probably do it on a Saturday morning. Saturday morning, they get out, they cut their grass, job done, have a beer, and look back at how good your lawn looks. You need to do that on that Saturday and then run the guide wire. Then your mower will maintain that for the rest of the rest of the year. That's what the job of the robot mower is, is to maintain the height of your lawn. So what you'll have it do is drive maybe five times a week, maybe for 12 hours a day, five times a week. That mower will go out, drive over the top, maybe cut one or two mil of your grass every time it does go out. And it's not going to need to collect that kind of amount because it's actually going to remulch back into the, gar into the grass and make your grass healthier. In effect, you should actually have healthier lawn with a robot mower than if you're going out and cutting it just once a week. So here we are. This thing is now starting to get going. 
and I'm watching it and, it and you can actually tell the difference even though I had mode prior to doing the installation I was noticing where it had been and where I it hadn't been and that was really interesting to watch because obviously the heights I couldn't exactly get them perfectly aligned in terms of what the push mower was set at to what the robot mower was set at but I could tell where it had been and I'm watching the way it works and it literally is like a ping pong um, ping pong pinball like a pinball table literally just going towards one side finding a guide wire turning around going into the other side just driving around aimless completely aimless it uses gps assisted technology to try and help it navigate better and i think over time i did start to notice that it was going for areas it hadn't been before rather than going back over areas it had been but when you're watching it you would actually assume that it just has no idea what it's doing and where it's going the first time i i started to run it I noticed a couple of problems. And the first thing was this. In some areas, I put the guide wire way too close to the edge. And that meant in some areas of my garden, there is a ditch between the lawn and the garden bed. And that ditch was um, where I was putting the guide wire because for me, I was thinking it's such an easy way to hide it. Put it in that existing ditch that's already there and the mower will come. It may hit the wall, but it's fine because the guide wire is buried and secure. It was a bad idea. I needed to stick with the rules. I need to stick with what it was, what Husqvarna was saying. Put it 20 centimeters back to make sure it's not running into the wall. Because what I found was that if it was approaching on an angle or sideways, both wheels or you know two sides or one whole side would actually fall into the ditch and it gets bogged. So I was effectively getting the mower stuck. And that was a bit of a problem um, because I don't want to have to watch the robot the whole time and make sure it doesn't keep getting stuck. So I had to almost redo maybe 30% of my guide wire to make sure it was more conservative in my approach rather than just saying, yeah, who cares if it gets too close to the garden or if it bumps into a wall. I actually need to think, you know what, I'd rather pull the guide wire back a little bit and then whippersnip once a week to do those edges rather than hoping that the uh, vac, the mowers, <laughs> the mower could actually do it all. So that's one thing that I learned straight away. Um, the other interesting part is that you can run this thing literally whenever you want, as much as you want. It's so quiet. In fact, you could be, I could have a combo, I could record this podcast with the mower mowing next to me and I don't think you would know. Um, it is so, so quiet. It's an electric mower, but I've seen electric push mowers. They're still quite noisy. This thing just does not make noise. Every now and then you hear like crunching. It's like a chunk, 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 like it's like it's chewing on some grass as it's trying to get through. Um, it works. It works really, really well. It has got a very small deck, uh, which means that it does need to run, especially on a, on a larger block. It needs to run a lot. And I've had mine uh, installed for a little over a week now. And I've started to get this carpet finish appearing, but it did take that long before it all became quite consistent. So you do need to give it time. You need to give it a chance to start working. Um, I love that this one has LED headlights on the front, even though they are purely for decoration. Um, the headlights are on. You're thinking, oh, that's so convenient that at nighttime it's got headlights so it can see, but actually there's no sensors on it. It's still following a guide wire. The headlights actually help you see that the mower is just putting around your backyard. You can integrate this with voice control. So you can use your Google Home or your Amazon smart speaker to stop and start um, your Husqvarna auto mower. And I like that. But for me, I let it run on a schedule and I use If This Then That, which is a um, smart automation tool to work with Husqvarna and the weather. 
Um, that's a simple thing that you can do in the Husqvarna app is link it to the weather, which means that if it's going to rain that day, it doesn't mow. It just stays on charge. Um, I've seen um, articles where people have pretended to be able to compare um, other brands and have said that this one doesn't support weather. It does. It's literally in the app if you look at it or actually bother to, to review it and try it. Um, and look, let's be clear. There are plenty of other brands that do robot mowers. Um, Gardener works. There are plenty of other brands. Um, for me, Husqvarna is a brand I knew. They were a brand who are in mowing already. And this is their um, adaptation into robotics to, to make it work. So far, so good. I haven't got a complaint yet. I think my biggest complaint was my, myself. I needed to make sure that I set this thing up properly, install it properly so that I can use it and make sure that it is effective. Now, again, I, I, I have bought 15 acres. This thing is not going to cover all 15 acres. It's covering a very special part of my yard, um, but it's an area that I will no, no longer need to touch. It's meant that the um, the large lawn tractor or zero turn mower that I have bought for the rest of the property doesn't need to go in that space, which meant that I can actually get a more heavy duty zero turn mower because it's going to cover the paddocks while this robot covers the more delicate areas of the yard. I actually still use a push mower for some of the other small lots of grass that I do have because it is easier to get in and out of um, with one of those. But otherwise, I've got a really nice part of the yard being covered with the auto mower. Uh, and I trust it. I trust it really well in terms of its safety, the way that it operates. Um, I can be looking out the window at nighttime and there's the mower just putting around. It's so cool to watch. I make sure that I don't start the mower when the grass is still wet. So, if, you know, first thing in the morning, it's not running. I usually do like a 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Um, schedule. Let it run literally all day during that period, um, but maybe only three or four times a week going forward now that it started to catch up with itself. The biggest problem, I think, or the biggest barrier to entry here for anybody looking at getting one is price. These things aren't cheap. And I know that Husqvarna probably carries a brand pedigree to it, but almost in any brand, finding something for less than $1,000 is pretty much impossible, especially one that can cover some land. So here we are with the 315X, which I've been testing, is $3,399. That is not cheap. Now, you might find them on special and things like that sometimes, um, but you know, they're the cheapest one. The cheapest one, the 305, is $1699. It will cover 600 square meters. So for an average suburban home, that's probably just fine. But it's a big upfront cost. You really either have to hate mowing um, or you just want a beautiful looking lawn all year round. They go all the way up to, let me scroll down a bit, all the way up to $6,600. That's a four wheel drive machine that can cover almost an acre, almost three and a half thousand square meters, um, and it will handle slopes of 70 degrees. So that's really going to be happy with any incline you can throw at it. 70 degrees is an insane slope to cover on a robot mower, but here we are talking about them. I really think that 2022 is the year of robots. I really think we're going to see more of them. Anyone who doesn't have a robot vacuum or mop should be considering one. It's a great way to think, start thinking about robots and how they can help you. I think what Hyundai and other brands are starting to do, uh, we saw even from Samsung at CES this year, how their robots are starting to enter the kitchen. Um, the world of robots is starting to help. Some of these tasks are mundane, even though some people love to mow. I still like mowing, but there's a certain part of the yard that I don't have to worry about anymore. Um, and that's the convenience that I like. I sat down with my son and we watched the little robot putt around and there was a lot of joy in that. Instead of him watching me cut the grass, we both sat and watched the robot mow along. Um, absolutely fascinating. So look, if you're interested in robot mowers and you've got any questions, please reach out to me while I've got this one. Um, I will probably start to get other brands in because there's no 
better way to talk about mowers than actually comparing them. And if you are literally only talking about one forever and ever, you're making a mistake. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Technology Uncorked. You've been a wonderful audience, and I hope you have an amazing Christmas if you haven't already. And stay safe. Look after each other. Look after yourself, number one. And I will speak to you in 2022. Am I speaking to you again next year? No. I will still speak to you again this year. We'll have an end of year episode still to come because this show ain't stopping. And I look forward to it. I really look forward to it each and every week talking to you guys and hearing back from you. Um, Some amazing responses from last week's show, especially around internet use and things like that. Keep that that stuff coming. Any questions you've got about anything we talk about on the show, reach out to me. I'm here forever and ever. Amen. Bye-bye.